that I remember buying this on the day of its release. Oh, great. You got it already. Yeah. This... This is it. This is my train. Another of the items wrongly donated. Oh! Well, then, you realise what this means? Then we know where the rest of the... where the other items are. What are you doing? I'm shutting up shop early, that's what I'm doing. Come on, fire up the woody. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 222 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast in the grand scheme of meaningless coincidences. Episode 222 covering up to September 23 in the year 2022 is just one day from being a far more impressive pretty meaningless coincidence, which has got to mean something, right? I'm Gavin. (laughs) And I simply must find out the brand of that digital camera. (laughs) More on oh, that later. Oh, we're going straight in it? Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's just stick a flag in that. Yes. We'll come back to that. Ugh. <laughs> How are you this week? I'm all right. I'm all right. Have, um, you know, still enjoying the new job. Found some... Um, oh, you see, you said that we are sigh. Oh. oh so I think I'm it's just... I'm still enjoying the new job. I, I am, though. I found I I was digging through a box trying to determine what we could use and and what we couldn't use um, in in this big lot of Hollywood stuff and found pr- promotional photos of the Star Wars holiday special. Oh, so <laughs> quite excited about that. <laughs> they can't be worth anything, can they? Oh, they could be worth quite a bit because. But they were so shit. Right, and that's exactly it. Okay, you know, it's 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 kind of something that's kind of beloved in the Star Wars community. Even the incels like it because it was so bad and so terrible, and so much of of it because everybody who involved hated it so much. So much of it is is lost. Yeah, so. it, was a, it was an old style variety show, wasn't it? Yeah. But whose idea was this? With with <coughs> B. Arthur as the as the cantina owner. I just remember that Chewbacca's family son was l- lumpy, lumpy, <laughs> lumpy. Because that's a word. <laughs> it is if a it's word. Chewy and it's lumpy, which doesn't <laughs> help me get into the extraterrestrial nature of this. Well, I mean, it's true, kind of. Lumpy is not the only Star Wars character who, amongst lots of people with with names that sound very alien-like and science fiction-y-like, we also have Ben's. Don't get me started on the Millennium Falcon. <coughs> What's a falcon in that universe? I'm sure they have falcons. Birds that are called falcons. That seems a bit coincidental, doesn't it? <laughs> And in fairness to George Lucas, I mean, we get a bit of that in Dune as well. Oh, it's not, it's not in its own at all, but that's always bothered me. Aww. Since I was five. See, we aren't as unalike as, as, 
as you sometimes want us to be when it comes to pedantry. Oh, no, I'm, I'm absolutely a pedant. <laughs> How was your week? It was okay. Uh, I've, I'm working my way through the uh, the movies that were Best Picture winner, going mm-hmm. back to the 20s. And I watched All Quiet on the Western Front mm-hmm. last night, which was the first one of those that has been good. In it's your still good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I think the Broadway melody demonstrably is a bad film. And I have uh, not much hope for the movie that I'm watching next, which is, I think, a Western. I can't imagine a Western in 1931 was... Age as well. Uh, yeah. Let's see. I think it's probably problematic now. Mm. And then I've been choked with the cold because it's autumn now, I think. Right. Not the COVID. No. No I COVID. I tested myself again. That was fun. I hadn't done that in a while. Stick that thing up my nose. Right. For 15 turns. And I gave you the, the last good one. The other ones we have are the ones where you stick the swab through like a card. Oh. Yeah. After it. And I don't know. But they're the free. They're the last free ones from the government. So that should tell you something. Those are the ones that implant us with the, the chip. With the chip. Right. right. Yep. Yep. All, all I'll do important. that one next week. But yeah. I don't have the COVID, so that's good. Yes. Have you ever read the book, All Quiet on the Western Front? Uh, no. Yeah. I hadn't seen the movie. I was amazed that it was from the German perspective. Well, so was the book. Yeah, well, clearly. But in the 1930s, I thought, you know, the World War II was like 12 years old mm-hmm. or 12 years done. Mm-hmm. Seemed a, an unusually brave move to have a movie like that from the German perspective yeah. when the Germans were probably still looked upon as being the enemy. Mm-hmm. But I think that makes a, a wonderful point. Yes. You, know, you kind of sympathise with these... War is hell on both sides. Oh, right. These, um, they're just... They're exactly the same, right? Right. And then they're, they're, yes. they're fighting somebody else's war, basically. Yeah. Which was a, a point that was well made. Yeah, I, I thought it was quite uh, graphic for its time. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's obviously, obviously I think, uh, Saving pre-code. Private Ryan. Yeah, Saving Private Ryan, I think, has borrowed quite a lot from that. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway. We have a podcast where we can talk about things like this. We, we do. That, and this isn't that. No. So shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that pre-code, Corey News. <laughs> Expect some graphic, graphic nudity in this. Yeah, if only. Well, it looks like we aren't going to get the Weathy County podcast with Jim and Tim after all. Nathan Graham joins the ever-growing list of actors leaving the show. And we are saddened by this because James really never never got a chance to flourish much on the show beyond racism, homophobia, and now heart problems. Occasional football. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be shame. Big families are a tough sell on Corey. I think it's the Platts would disagree. And the Barlows. They didn't start off as families of four moving into the street. They they were more uh, Here from the organic. Yeah. And organically created. When you drop families into the show like the Harrises and the Battersbys and the Baileys, you're introducing a, the large number of characters or a larger number of characters in one go and they all have to have a storyline and 
it took years for the Bartsby's to be accepted, mm-hmm. and they really were only properly accepted when they started to split up when Leanne left and when Toya moved out. And right. So yeah, it, it's been a it's been a hard road for them, and especially when Ronnie was added into the picture and Grace was added into the picture, and yeah. The, I, I think James was given a particularly hard road to oh. to furrow because yeah. of because being a footballer doesn't really give us an awful lot of drama. So you're right, mm. he was left with racism, he was left with homophobia and coming out. And there was one brief moment of him having a relationship with Danny, but then Danny left. Right. So what what did it leave him with? Right. This seems to be the actor's decision and I don't blame him. No. Well, they they all kind of they all in recent history seem to have been the actor's decision. I think Millie was the actor's decision, yeah, but and Charlie was the actor's decision. A, a bit and longer. What's her name? Um, Kathy. Melanie Hill. Yes, Melanie Hill. And at least, at least in her case, it was I'm leaving the show so I can take care of my mother and spend more time with my family. Everybody else is just kind of repeating the same line of. Well, I want to get out there and see what else is out there for me to do, which, you know, after like the fifth person to say something along those lines, it makes you wonder yeah, a but little bit. Every other character that you mentioned had a far longer shelf life than James did. Right. Yes. Yeah. Although Millie, Millie was only on for like three or four years. Yeah. And, and James was three years. It just doesn't seem like three years because we barely saw him. Right. But that's the problem. Yeah, that's absolutely the problem. We have another Emmerdale steal in the making as Christine Cox joins Corey. She played Glennis Hardy in The Dales from 2001 to 2005. And she will play a character in the Stew storyline coming up. So stay tuned for more Stew. And finally, a scene this week of Kelly standing at the balcony looking over the cobbles is reportedly an homage to a scene from 1968 where Ina Sharples, played by Violet Carson, also stood at a balcony and looked out over the cobbles. No word on where scenes of Sam, Leanne, Nick, Imran, and Maria looking over the street from balconies are homages to. And that's Corey News. Oh, you take issue with this? I just think... I, I just think it's because I've seen I've I've seen that picture of Ina Sharples who is it's a great picture. It's a great picture, and she's much higher, and there's a fog over the street, and it's very iconic looking. Yeah, and she's on the other side of the frame. Right. <laughs> yeah, and and this blink and you'll miss it scene of Kelly looking over the cobbles. I think if it was a true homage, they'd have done more to try and make it match it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a bit a bit salty this morning for a variety of reasons. And that leads us on to World Podcast for Coffee. World Podcast for Coffee is your way. Yes, you, Helen. Not me. Well, you can if you want. Yeah, but that would be counterintuitive. It's just moving a five around, basically, yeah. <laughs> and I did buy you coffee yesterday. You so. did? Yeah. So and a Bregel. What was on that? Ham and cheese. There was something else on and it. There was something cheese. orange on it. 
Was it cheese? Was yeah. it just cheese and cream cheese on it? Yes, and ham. Oh, I thought it was and maybe the, a bit of salmon. And then it was Asiago. It was an Asiago cheese bagel. So you've got three different kinds of cheese on there. Oh, no wonder I couldn't breathe later <laughs> on in the day. If you think this podcast is worth any more than the time it takes to listen to it, you can throw us five bucks for a cup of coffee through ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And it does go to coffee. It does. I have a little card that I put it on and I go and spend it on coffee. Mm-hmm. This week, drinking your coffee out of the best fucking husband ever mug, which judging by the dribbles down it, I think that was my mug yesterday as well. Hmm. And I'm drinking it out of my Labrador Retriever mug. Somebody's dog. Yeah, it says, see, it says Black Labrador Retriever on the back. Right. Not our dog. No, it was my dad's. So my dad had a beloved Black Labrador Retriever named Leia. For years and years and years and years, and, and then it died. He it did, and then he miss he misses her to this day, because that was the longest relationship I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much to unpack out of that. That would take more than five bucks for that therapy session. So if you want to buy us next week's coffee or next month's Helen's therapy session, go to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And now this. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to talk about Charlie Big Potatoes. Oh, Charlie Big Potatoes. This was somebody yep. tr- trying to talk somebody else down from having a big head. That's right. This like was like Al- Mr. Potato Head. That's right. This was Alia accusing Zidane of sweeping back into their lives, trying to fix everything like Charlie Big Potatoes. <laughs> yes. To which Jasmine said, "Charlie Big Potatoes." <laughs> I was Gavin, and you had a soggy bottom. <laughs> no change there, then. It hadn't stopped raining for a week. Yeah. It's been raining quite a bit this past week as well. Well, it was 85 degrees on Wednesday. And then it was... 50 degrees. 50 40 degrees, degrees on Thursday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I think is contributing to my stuffiness. Absolutely. My no jeans till October rule had been broken. And it's now no longer, I think, because I have to go into the office like three times a week. Boo. You had a open-toed sandal rule that I think was also broken at this point last year. You went to see Respect, and I didn't because of uh, the manufactured and contrived pivotal moments that I don't like in musical biopics. And in the Zier house, suspicions are still heightened over Zidane's return and the source of his funds, and also why Simon is hanging around like a bad smell. We we got told about that. Mm. Seeing Summer in a stressed state about her university application, Daniel offers to help her outside of school, which insults David that it never showed any willingness to help Max. Well. Uh, right. A visit from... <coughs> <coughs> a visit from Sharon boys Kelly's spirits about her dad's whereabouts until she learns that her new bestie on the inside has knowledge of Rick the Chin that would suggest that he was far more than a loan shark. So that's taken a little year to develop that out. Mm. Ed is working himself into an early grave to attend to all the snags on Gracie's list for a new house. As the street prepares to say a final farewell to Norris Cole, Chez oh, and Bernie's well, 
Chaz and Bernie's dismissive attitudes towards the deaf community drive Frida towards something rash. Billy does some proper vickering. The alleyway of doom claims another victim. PC Tinker has never been so confused. Our moment of the week was Norris's farewell, and our boring moment of the week was Daniel despairing at summer not knowing a museum. And that was Coronation Street. And the talk of the street, this time last year. Yes. Yeah, Norris's funeral was the last time I think we saw Billy... Billy doing his job. <laughs> right. Beyond the, you know, scooping of soup. Soup scoop. Which is, which is part of his job. Right. It's not the proper part of his job, though. That's the last time we saw him in his full... Regalia. Oh, that's a, a five dollar word that we both thought of at the same time. Yes, because we are so so smart. <laughs> and so say us. Yes. Shall we dive in, my dear? Ah, uh, let's get this over with. Outstanding death storylines that are on the go at the moment. We have Rick the Chin, Imran and Charlie, and we get some resolution, sort of, on two of them, sort of. So let's dive in. Yes. Our first storyline today is our last storyline, and we're going back to Sunday, so we have four Right, four which episodes. for me was Friday. Well, yes, let's yes. let the, the listeners in upon magic there. Yes, I got to watch Sunday's episode on Friday, and that's why if you right. listened to our last episode where I was really confused about the number of episodes from last week, this is why. It's because I watched four episodes last week. Yeah, Britbox dropped... The Sunday, the Sunday episode, episode on, on Friday, Friday, which is when it was supposed to be aired. Right. So after the podcast was recorded, I went off and watched the right. Sunday episode. Yeah. It happens occasionally, and I don't usually like to talk about it just in case it, I jinx it and it stops happening again. Right. But we sometimes get episodes ahead of time. Right. Which is quite nice. So yeah, you it were. quite nice. So when I said, and that's the end of that storyline for this week, and you were like, What? what? <laughs> No, it's not. No, it's not. There's all this other really important stuff that happened. Yeah, so you saw this ages ago. Yes, ages and ages ago. So our first storyline is 50 points from Griff in Boar. No, okay. (laughs) On Sunday, Toya is getting ready for court, still unable to get hold of Spider. But she goes and, surprise, surprise, she's found not guilty because of course she is, because it's never murder. At worst, it was death by dangerous driving or manslaughter. And that was that. And that was that. Rushed a little. And just not satisfying at all. No. I mean, I'm glad that she got off, but... But not like that. But not like that. But, yeah, I... Justice for Imran, man. First, first, Rana gets no justice, and her brother dies without finding out what actually happened to her. Mm. And now Imran... It's no justice. No wonder their mum is so bitter and angry all the time. But I've had longer jobbies than this Court, murder yeah. trial has, has... I know. I know. I've gone in the bathroom after you. <laughs> Sarah gives her a parting swipe, but that's it. It's done. All that waiting for a nothing burger because we were waiting for this for ages. Back home, she gets... And a visit. we still don't really know what happened. Well, she drove in into the building deliberately. Right. To try to kill herself as well as, as him. him. So she has some guilt. Yeah. Over this situation. Right. But we'll never we'll never have that guilt have any sort of closure. No. At all, because she's not held accountable at all for this. No, and I, I can't all. remember if the double jeopardy rules are still in play 
if she can get retrialed for it. I don't think so. Or at least, can we have a trial about reckless endangerment or reckless driving? Well, that's the, something. That's, that's crime, what should have done been done to begin with. That's the Crown Prosecution Service's fault for not charging her with it. They went all in for murder, and that was never the right call. No, it was never the right call. So back home she gets a visit from Spider who's pleased that it all went well. And then there's really quite a remarkable scene where he suggests that he hangs around if that pleases her. And as a tear rolls down her cheek, she says, mm-hmm. And the kiss and my heart breaks a little bit. That was yeah, lovely. That, was, that be- was lovely. Beautifully done. Yes, that was very well done. Later, Spider meets DS Blondie in the alleyway of Doom and asks her to keep Stum. She doesn't really give a shit anymore because the trial is done. So she promises to keep quiet, but she points out how unethical his behaviour is. Yes. And then in the pub, Toya is looking forward to getting involved in activism now that she's been given a second chance. And at the bar, Spider tries to gently probe Griff on his real activities. But not like that. Those outside the normal bounds of activism, like blowing up a brown woman's car. Griff tells Spider to wind his fucking neck in if he knows what's good for him. Mm-hmm. And that's as far as we get with that storyline this week. Yes. So apparently Spider, uber environmentalist, has not only had the time to work his way through the ranks of the police to become a detective, but he's also going after, he's now going after other uber environmentalists. Well, who, I think that's who he was always after. Who, who are being painted in very <coughs> broad Fox and Hoosie type strokes, aren't they? Oh, this isn't, guy is. Isn't Griff just being like from from the from the? I don't I don't like the cut of that woman's jib. She's rich. Let's blow her car up. Well, we've seen the the fluffy side of activism through Evelyn and Mary and Nina and Toya. So now this is the the other side of it, and Griff. Right. Is this this is really the approach we need to be taking? towards environmentalism and environmentalists when the whole world is burning down. And well, I don't think we're saying that all environmentalists are like that. Is that what you're taking from this? That all environmentalists are like that? No, it just it seems like an odd storyline for this time in the history of the world where the drought in Europe is so bad that the Spanish Stonehenge has re-emerged from the waters. And, you know. So Griff doesn't get a job because of that? What do you mean Griff doesn't get a job? Well, we don't do the storyline because of that. So Griff doesn't get a job. You mean the actor playing Griff? Right. We we couldn't have him be doing something else other than... Well, we don't really know what he's doing. A really bad stereotype of environmentalists. Yeah, but as I've already pointed out, there's plenty of other examples of environmentalists who are not like him. Right. Yeah. So this is kind of nuanced then, right? Not really. Well, we have some of one kind and we have one of another kind. Yeah, but... So I, we're I, not painting all environmentalists in the same light. No, you'll but... Con- you'll concede that point, surely. But to paint any in that light on a popular show Well, I think that does a moment, disservice because then that suggests that all environmentalists are, are super cool and groovy like Mary and Evelyn and Nina and Toya when, yeah. when they're not. Eh. It just it 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 seems odd to me, the way that this Griff character is built. What's odd and for me on this is, this seems to be a very noticeable pivot in the storyline, mm-hmm. from Toya getting off, but not like that, has now transformed into Spider really going after 
Griff. Right, yeah. Spider, the undercover detective. So what what was the catalyst for this whole thing? Charlie deciding to leave has has begat the the Charlie Death storyline, which has begat the Toya in court storyline, which has begat Spider's return, which has begat Griff. I don't know. I don't know how how far along that line Griff I'm was, wondering, was in the picture because I'm, I'm wondering if if Charlie hadn't left if we would have gotten a love triangle sort of situation between... I can't see it. Because, you know, he and Toya were kind of on the skids already. Oh, they hadn't seen each other for like 20 years. No, I'm talking about Imran. Okay, yeah. Who she was married to, you'll recall. Yeah. But they were already having problems. They'd had problems quite a bit. So to have this character who was at one point the love of Toya's life come back on the scene, I mean... I don't I don't know how plausible it is to give up Imran for Spider. But no, you know, your, stranger your, things have happened. Your first love. Yeah. Yeah. But Imran. But Imran. And his wife once. <laughs> there were no skid marks. And his sexy, sexy black boxer briefs. <laughs> oh well. Hmm. I don't know. It, it just seems that the it just seems kinda like the court case was rushed so we could hurry along to the spider busting this griff character right and it seems a strange and also thing to, to give to... more time to other storylines which have been deemed more important which also felt kind of rushed and yeah we'll get to that though our next storyline is clearing homeless stew just not an a, awful lot of this just a Three scenes on Sunday, which you saw on Friday. Yes. Last Friday. Yes. Just to make it more confusing. I saw the future. <laughs> Alia and Homeless Stew have a meeting with a solicitor who specialises in miscarriages of justice. Homeless Stew is worried about the cost, but Alia poo-poos it until they actually have the meeting with the solicitor and she mentions a fee of 15 grand. Eh, we'll get back to you, says Alia. Do they? Do and they... you can pa- practically not hear Alia say that by Homeless Stew's chair scraping on the lino of Nina's rolls where they've chosen to have this meeting. Do they not have something like the Innocence Project in the UK? You I don't, know, I don't lawyers, know. Lawyers who work pro bono to get falsely convicted people off of, well, death row here. There would be no death row in the UK because there is no death row in the UK. Maybe that's why there is no Innocence Project then. Yeah, they're still wrongly convicted people. Oh, well. Lots of them. I think that's a British attitude to that. Oh, well. You'll be guilty of something. That's what my mum, as my mum used to say, you'll have have been guilty of something. It's a British attitude to quite a few things. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) We lost our empire, oh, well. But then there's other things that they're very much vocal about. Yes. We We won't talk about it. No, we won't. So, back home, Homeless Stew ready to throw in the towel and learn to live with the fact that he killed Charlie. Alia, though, isn't about to give up just yet. And so she goes back to the lawyer's office and starts hitting those case files again, roping Zidane to help. They have to go through everything with a fine-tooth comb again. And that's as far as we get with that. Yes. I thought it was quite funny that as soon as Alia finds out that it's 15 grand, oh, do you not do... No win, no fee, she says. Mm. And the solicitor says, nope. No, and <laughs> and again, you know, you would think that these people who are really into 
cases to get people wrongly convicted, the justice that they're due would not be the ones asking for a lot of money for this sort of thing. Because one would expect that ex-cons don't have an awful lot of money to spend on this sort of thing. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, you can't afford me. Oh, well. Yeah, but then how is the lawyer supposed to make money? Oh, she'll have a side hustle. She'll be doing Deliveroo or something like that. (laughs) She'll be working for the Trump family next. Oh, no, this is not that podcast. (laughs) All right, Prince Andrew. It does feel like it's not that podcast either. (laughs) Definitely that podcast. This is a... It felt like, you know, this was supposed to be a Friday episode, as you would, well, a test, as you saw. Um, You saw it on Friday. So this seemed to be setting up something that's going to happen this week that that then didn't happen. No, because, again, it was swallowed up by the big, massive storyline of the week. Right. (sighs) But uh, (laughs) Homeless Stew, I think, is... That this is not how this ends with no. them kind of giving up, and no. I don't think it ends with Alia discovering some secret uh, evidence in the in the evidence folder. No, because she has no clue what she's looking for. Right. Although Adam was very quick to praise her a couple of weeks ago right. when she found there was a paperclip on the and, wrong side of the page and or something. You know, I think we've seen enough. We've definitely seen enough true crime podcasts and right. television programs, etc., etc., etc. To know that three etcetras, yeah. Sometimes you could actually just say etc. etc. And all the covered. No, because I'm I'm doing the etc. 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 thing. So shut up. But anyway, (laughs) back to my original point before you critique my etceteras. Your original point. Yes, my original point. I'll get to it then. (laughs) This has cost me money. (laughs) (laughs) I've got places to go. I never do. <laughs> oh well. Anyway, that this that this happens quite quite a bit. That some you know armchair quarterback of the true crime community these these groups get together and comb through things that lawyers don't have time for, or that mm-hmm. people can't afford to pay for. And they're the ones who, who find something. Like Patton Oswalt's late wife, who, you know, was instrumental in finding the, the Red River killer mm-hmm. and everything. That's this And serial. Right. Yes. Yes. And... Being a more Adnan, topical example. Adnan has been released. Kind of. Huzzah. Yep. Kind of. Um, you know, this is... It's, it's, so, it's not a... It's not beyond the realms of possibility for Alia to be the one to find something that breaks this case wide open. In fact, it may be one of the most realistic things to happen on the show in recent memory. I can't see it. (laughs) So let's move on to our... This is a meteor storyline. This is Canada Dry Ginger Fail (laughs) on Sunday. Other rovers, Daisy has been super helpful, offering to mop floors and clean out ashtrays and take a plunger to the shitter after Kirk's been. This does not fool Jenny for a moment because Jenny knows that Daisy's after the manager job. I keep forgetting we're still talking about Friday. 
in other news, on Friday. In other news, her visa has come through quicker than Toya's not guilty verdict. <laughs> kind of like Abby's Costa Rica visa, remember that? Mm-hmm. It's all starting to come together as far as Jenny's immigration is concerned. Wow. Later, Glenda's pulling a pint for Stephen while Daisy offers to do the rotas for next week. Glenda gives Stephen change from a tenner, but he insists he gave her a twenty. Jenny leaps into action and gives Stephen the extra change, no questions asked, which pisses off Glenda somewhat. Meanwhile, Jenny tells Daisy that maybe some fresh blood would be preferable as manager. I tried to see if there was any, if it was a 20 or a or I'm a sure tenor. knowing Stephen that Glenda was right. But I couldn't tell. And no. I, I think the money's changed since I've last seen it. Hmm. And it's going to be changing again here pretty soon. Is it? Oh, well, yeah, they yeah. got to put a new face on it. Right. But I don't know if that changes the colour of it. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Through the back, Jenny is doing the rota. Daisy says that she'd enjoy giving extra shifts to people that she likes and nothing for the people that she doesn't like. Glenda sticks her head in at this point to complain about Stephen and suggesting that she shakes him by his leg to see what falls out, calling him that American prick. <laughs> Jenny tells her to let it go. Daisy is in no doubt that Glenda's out in her arse if she gets this manager's job. Then Cinco Leo has booked her flights from Weatherfield to Canada, departing on September 28th, which is this coming Wednesday, I think. Yes. There's a fun scene next where Gemma comes in and Jenny announces her as the new manager. And Gemma lays out her plans. Yes. Cheetah skin on the walls, mm-hmm. leopard print on the floors. Right. And a trough for nibbles. Wow, that sounds great, says Daisy, trying mm-hmm. to put on a brave face. Yes. And Gemma pisses herself laughing. Yes. Like she has time with a million kids and a psychotic <laughs> mother to run a pub. Right. Daisy's got the job after all. Duh. Huzzah. Huzzah. I really like this. I, I liked that scene too, because it's not beyond the realms of possibility that that Jenny would consider Gemma for this position. Well, a little because, bit of nepotism. Because Gemma is Gemma is Gemma, but she's also worked there forever. She knows everybody. She knows the ins and outs of the business and quite well. And there's the well. Vita connection. Right. Yeah. So, not that Daisy isn't nepotism oh, right. as well. Sure. Because she's been there for, you know, barely a year. As working, you know, in the pub. <coughs> I think she's probably been there for a bit longer than that. Hmm. But still, you know, they're both nepotism babies yep. in, in my book. But, you know, so it wasn't it wasn't beyond the realm of possibility until Gemma starts talking about leopard print on the walls and everything, which she yeah. would never do. Right. You know, that's when you're like, oh, they're just winding Daisy up here. Charlotte Jordan as Daisy in this scene was... So good. It was brilliant. So good. Her uh, her full uh, joy at not getting the job and at mm-hmm. going to uh, Gemma was it was just hilarious. It was so yeah, well done. It really was. And at, at that point, I'd, I've been coming round to Daisy over the past far few too weeks, slowly, far too slowly. But it really cemented it for me in the scenes this week where she and Jenny together are they're just brilliant. Yes, they really are. They are. And at no point does Daisy have to say who eats chilli con carne without rice. Right, yes. She acts really well with her face. Yeah, she does. She's like, she's like um, Meryl Streep or Viola Davis that way in in that 
she doesn't need to say anything. Her eyes. And you know exactly. The widening of her eyes is an awful lot. And her mouth, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just her eyes. Her eyes, her mouth, her stance. Right. Just everything. Just mwah. Brilliant. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Please, please don't leave the show. (laughs) So outside, Daisy is thinking about her plans to lower the average age of the clientele to 70, while Jenny looks at the pub and gets all maudlin-like. Later, Glenda spills a pint down Daisy, seemingly just cementing her arse hitting the pavement, but when a drunk customer comes in and gets a bit too leery, Glenda practically breaks his arm as she frog-marches the prick out to a round of applause. Woohoo! And then later, Glenda uses her charms to get Peter to upgrade his cheese and onion crisps to a hot pot. Yay! And all this is enough for Daisy, who hires Glenda on the spot. Yes. Power! Shouts Daisy. Yes. On Tuesday. I loved that. Yeah. I loved that. It's like... She's doing the hiring and firing. She's been right. longing to say that for the and, longest and time. And also Glenda, you know, doing what Glenda does. Mm-hmm. And she may not be able to pull a pint, but she she knows how to work a crowd. Yep. And that's just as important in a pub. Absolutely. On Tuesday, Jenny is throwing stuff out the pub with Daisy when she sees Stephen and she instantly shits herself. Stephen is on the phone thanking a spa owner for the favour that he's just received. And that made me wonder, what twist and turn has this taken? Well... He's got a happy ending here. Ugh. And the favour, though, is a break at the spa for Gail and Audrey tomorrow. Thank goodness. Mm. They're thrilled at this just as David comes rushing into the house, claiming that the sinkhole's coming back. And I'm like, oh, you've no. got to be kidding me. No. <laughs> no. They all retire to the salon for safety while Shona goes to get a hold of sinkhole Leo. Gail and Audrey decide to cancel the spa as they'll never be able to relax. But Cinco Leo thinks it's safe and they can confirm for sure tomorrow. Stephen insists that they go to the spa after all. Whatever plan he has is confused when Audrey offers to put David and Gail and Shona and the kids up for the night. Not Gail. I thought Gail was... Gail's going to the spa with Audrey. Well, that's tomorrow. They've, they've got tonight to get through first. Oh, yeah, I suppose. Stephen complains about this. So David tells him to book himself a hotel if he's so concerned. So Stephen says that he'll do just that. Leo watches all of this as and is as confused as we are. And later, while Leo is delivering some of his tools to number eight, Stephen is on the phone, sounding like he's on the phone to someone about Audrey's house in Grasmere Drive. There are a few details dropped, but it's enough for Leo to be suspicious and to mention later to Jenny how weird that Stephen bloke is. And Leo's suspicions are further aroused when he catches Stephen trying to access number eight at night. Stephen says he's just checking to make sure that he locked up and then slinks away. You know, I'm getting old, I'm forgetting these things, he says. And Leo doesn't seem to be buying it at all. And then later, I'm not sure where he is, but Stephen is undressing to his vest and pants, ready to sleep in his car. And Leo is sitting in his car in the shadows, observing this sorry sight. And brushing his teeth in the street with a water bottle. Right. At, at least... Maybe get off the street before you do this sort of thing. <laughs> Are there no trees? Is there no parks or wooded areas? Or a garage or something. that he's, He looks like he's in a parking lot somewhere. And he's vest and pants. Why is he getting ready for bed when he's sleeping in his car? Why would you do that? Just sleep in your suit. You practically do that anyway. I don't know. Was it nice to see Stephen in his vest? No. Let's move on. On Wednesday, no. Shona... Had, it, it must have been a cold night. It was That's a all cold I'm night. saying. It was a cold night. It was but a cold if, night. If uh, Leo was looking for some place to hang his wet duffel coat, 
I think Stephen had a couple of places. On Wednesday, Sean and Leo are admiring the fancy do going on at the bistro in another storyline. Remember, remember uh, how prominent Tom Holland was in that movie that you went to go and charted such, with? Such strange man nipples. Stephen shows up claiming to have enjoyed his night in the hotel very much, thank you. And privately, he confirms an appointment at Audrey's house after he learns that Audrey and Gail are off to the spa after all. Meanwhile, Leo comes into the rovers to explain how sketchy Stephen has been about lying, uh, trying to sneak into number eight, and then lying about sleeping in his car. Sinkhole Leo despises liars. Gulp, says Jenny. Yes, and it's pretty amazing, this 180 turn of Leo's when it comes to Stephen. Because remember last week when he was all like, oh, I have to ask Stephen's advice and see if Stephen has a has uh, any any leads for me for for stuff in Canada and oh isn't Stephen such a nice guy for helping us out and Stephen 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 mm-hmm. I thought he was gonna kiss Stephen and now all of a sudden Stephen's very suspicious isn't he yeah well you see somebody in their, their vest and pants sleeping in the car and brushing their teeth with a water bottle I think your, your uh, suspicions are going to be somewhat aroused it was very convenient for him to be parked in that same street well he followed them did he. I, th- I assume so. It's weird. It's weird. Why would you follow someone like that? <laughs> just, 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 just see them in their skivvies. Stephen's in the pub later when a furious Audrey comes in. She's had a massive row with Gail at the spa and come home early to find an estate agent doing a valuation on a house. That's odd, says Leo. Who ordered the valuation? Mm-hmm. And Audrey says to Stephen, "You did it." Oh, yeah. yes. Stephen thinks on his feet and says that he did make an appointment when he was a trustee of her assets but cancelled it when Audrey changed their mind. They must have forgotten to remove it from their e-calendar or something. Right. Audrey looks suspicious but hmms an approval of sorts while Leo watches on with a raised eyebrow mm-hmm. and Jenny watches Leo with a nibbled lip. Mm-hmm. Later, the whole family is now in the rovers and Audrey's checking whether David is behind this given that he's a fucking liar. Right, yeah. This is such a leap. When when Stephen has already confessed that he did this ages ago, and oh, it just must be a mistake. Yeah, and, I thought it was weird that we're that we're still pursuing this, right? And so for for Stephen to have seemingly successfully argued this away to you know Audrey all of a sudden saying, "You know what? I bet happened. I bet David did this because he's off." fucking liar because he he lied to me and tried to steal my money four years ago but it's all being said just so leo can say if you want to talk about liars look at that you might one. want to ask this guy here who says he was in a hotel last night and he slept in his car Stephen thinks in his feet again not so well this time saying that he was drunk out of his tits <clears throat> uh-huh you didn't look drunk to me says leo and you brushed your teeth yes Stephen snaps and says <laughs> something leo. famously drunk people do not do <laughs> Stephen snaps and says Leo's only acting like this because I snogged Jenny and he genuinely does seem to think that Jenny had told Leo Jenny tries to explain that it happened after they had split we were on a break we were on a break hilarious (laughs) but Leo still wants some satisfaction and so twats Stephen across the jaw huzzah probably killing him if only on Friday in the aftermath of the punch Stephen reckons that he deserved it and Leo agrees and storms out Jenny points out that they'd split up, but Leo explains we're that we're separated f- separated just for a day and is shocked to learn that he proposed 
with Stephen's saliva still slushing around in her mouth. Thank you very much. Angry and hurt. He really storms out this time. I don't think I can finish my coffee now. (laughs) Back at number eight, David has started to... Oh, my mouth's full of Stephen's Stephen's saliva. Ah, no! Back at number eight, David is starting to put two and two together and reckon Stephen's story isn't adding up here. Why did he say that he slept in the hotel... Why was Leo so angry with him when he didn't suspect a kiss? And exactly what kind of business is he involved in these days? And who called this state agent? With a bag of frozen peas applied to his face, Stephen deflects all of this until his missus calls and he leaves, claiming that he has business to take care of. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Jenny does what Jenny does best, and she gets wrecked on the vino, and nothing Rita says and no amount of chips from Daisy is enough to put her in a better mood. Leo's gone, and she doesn't blame him, because the trust is now gone. So, on the phone to Stephen has been uh, Gabrielle, and neither of them work in the factory, but they go to the factory to chat about the situation because Stephen had the keys. Right, yes, for no reason, because he doesn't work at the factory. And he says that that Sarah owns the factory or that she runs the factory. Which is half true. Lots of people on the Twitter were very angry on Carla's behalf (laughs) at that. She wants her money and he promises to give her it. But not like that. She wants something in writing, but he refuses calling it a loan. And then he grabs her bag to find that she's been recording the conversation on her phone. She threatens him with the cops again, but he promises to take her down with him. He said, she said. That's all it's going to be because they're a married couple. Right, yeah, which... I guess. I guess. But this is now... Is this the second or the third time that a character has preempted another character recording the conversation on the phone yeah, so, this, so that, that this can't be a to, thing now this, this seems to be a thing now either it, the character mm-hmm. has to have a phone and then a backup like the Zoom H6 field recorder which I highly recommend Or and, and somebody has done that didn't Peter do that he had like the very he had he had his phone and then he had a scribe or something who was uh, taking notes of the conversation. He had the phone and then he had like an old... <coughs> dictaphone. Dictaphone, yeah. So then Which need, was quite clever. Now we need three. Three levels of subterfuge. This this scene got a bit intense. I thought we were going to have a repeat of what <coughs> happened at the beginning of The House of the Dragons. Well, I thought it was going to hit her. Yeah. It's... Is that what happened at the start? Yeah. The Remember the when, when Matt Smith... When Matt Smith's wife finally showed up and she was cool and badass and oh. then he murdered her with a rock. Oh, the start of last week's episode. Yes. Not the start of it. Yes. Because that was some weeks ago. Right, yeah. The start of last week's episode. Uh, right. That's what I meant. <clears throat> so Stephen comes back oh, to the Matt house. Smith. David calling him a Mr. Pants on fire and resumes quizzing him, saying all he does is swan around being Canadian, having lunches and pretending to sleep in hotels. That was pretty funny as well. And eating poutine. <laughs> and saying, and saying a. a all the time. And being pleasant. But not really. There's a knock at the door. That's because he's from Ohio. Right. You can't act that. No, but you can eat poutine in Hawaii. There's, Ohio. You're going to say Hawaii. Hawaii. <laughs> I bet you could eat poutine in Hawaii. I bet you can. I bet you can. There's it's a knock at the door it. and it's Gabrielle who dropped in to surprise him and it seems to have worked. Gail and Audrey love making a fuss about Gabrielle with chips and lemonade. Stephen sits in the back. <coughs> Stephen sits in the back and fizzes while Gabrielle enjoys reconnecting with his family. Meanwhile, Jenny's on to bottle number three when Leo comes back. Daisy 
makes uh, Jenny's case, saying how much she loves him. And he's not back for these things. He just needed to clear his head. Canada is still on, because I bought the tickets and after, you know, so, oh well. Through the back of the rovers, Jenny nips off for a kebab. As soon as she's gone, he calls the estate agent that was ready to value Audrey's house, and he claims to be an associate of Stevens and asks for a call back in the morning. Leo Mm. is not letting this go. He's not. And he's being quite clever about it. Right. I'm pleasantly surprised by by this new side of Leo. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's got a total bee in his bonnet about this. Right. Obviously, the, the kiss has... accelerated that but again it started from before that and again he's being quite clever about it you know because there's no quaver in his voice as he is lying something that he claims to hate Mm -hmm. on the phone to this estate agent Audrey, Gail, David and Shona cram themselves into the kitchen so Stephen can threaten Gabrielle in private she threatens him back saying if she doesn't get her money next month she'll be getting some shit off her chest with Audrey and then speak of the devil (laughs) the speak of the devil Audrey doesn't appear it's Gail who appears and thrusts a box of frozen fish fingers under Gabrielle's nose and this is enough to chase her away and that's as far as we get with that this week at least there was no custard to go with the fish fingers it's a Doctor Who reference Matt Smith Okay, I'm glad I don't get that (laughs) oh Stephen the walls are closing in on you not fast enough not fast enough. You don't think? No. This is one This is one storyline that I kind of wish was a bit more accelerated. Because I just, I can't stand him. I can't stand him. Well, you're not meant to stand him. I know, but it's getting to the point where it's it's just, it's so unpleasant to watch the show because I can't stand him so much. You did know you, what I'm saying? Did you take any joy from Leo twatting him? Oh, absolutely. It was quite a good punch. It was. It was one of those, it's one of the few times where somebody got hit on the street and I was glad that there was no consequences. I kind of believed as well that it was uh, Stephen that he was punching. I had a, a horrible thought for a moment that we were going to uh, quick cut to that dummy of Audrey falling to the floor, but it wasn't. It was. Or the one of Sarah flipping over the car. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why is it always that family that gets replaced by mannequins? But not this time. It looked like it was. <laughs> An actual person. Yeah, Stephen getting the... Hit in the face. Getting twatted, yeah. It was nice, yeah. I wonder where Stephen's clothes are. Or they're at Audrey's. It's just that he'd moved out of Audrey's, right? Because everyone was moving into Audrey's. That whole part of it confused me because I didn't And understand. also, he's got two suits and that's it, right. apparently. Yeah. Apparently, this is the only clothes he has. It's that jacket and that Because he's so very poor. Right. Now... He doesn't have any of the clothes he had when he was so very rich. Historically in the show, right, he's always been the successful rich one. So I can understand why he's been, why he's having such a a hard reaction to falling on, on tougher times. Right. But, but yeah, t- to be down to that few clothes, that's more than just falling on tough times. That's That's kind of been like one step away from being homeless, really, isn't it? It seems like that he he does see he is homeless. He has no home. Yeah, I guess, yeah. <sighs> I don't know. It's just it's so. It's one thing to be skeevy, but then to be threatening one woman who you've already stolen from, and insisting that you're going to get away with it, which never 
Which never works never very works. well on the street. Never works. I'm going to get away with a C. Well, no. We don't see. And then, you know, attempting to con the women in his family. Oh, but how quickly did Gail and Audrey just coo over Gabrielle? Gabrielle. Yeah. That was, that's, that's why they can get conned. Right. That's because they're just so welcoming to... Because they know Gabrielle from before. Right, yeah. And, and how well she treated Sarah and how much Sarah loves her. Right. And so they're just this is family and we haven't seen you in forever and right. we're making a big deal about you yeah nobody seemed to question how she was staying in the hotel and not staying at audrey's or Stephen wasn't staying in the hotel with her with her that that didn't right. seem to and, raise any alarms the, and, for david and, and, at all and the fact that she says at the <sighs> end well you know hopefully i'll have business in this area again sometime soon and nobody says well wouldn't wouldn't your husband know about this mm-hmm and wouldn't your husband maybe be some of that business? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. I think Gail was just determined to offer fish fingers, and maybe that's why she right. wasn't. Or a frozen so pizza. Right. It was very cute. All right. Our next storyline today is throwing out Haley. On Tuesday, Bernie's in Nina's roles trying to drum up business from Nina, who eventually agrees to pay her to clean the flat. After she's done, Bernie comes down with a box of stuff that she found at the back of her wardrobe that she reckons is getting all fusty and hasn't been looked at in years and is probably a fire hazard. So Nina agrees to the, the suggestion of donating this smelly old stuff to charity, telling Bernie that Roy will go through it later. And we see that there's a familiar red anorak at the top of the stuff in the box. Yes. And we're like, oh, Uh-oh. oh. Yeah, apparently she'd... she'd uh, Bernie had bought some industrial strength cleaning stuff from Nina that, you know, that had been bought for Roy's roles to do this other job. And then she immediately, after spending all the money getting prepared for this other job, she gets a phone call from this woman who she whose house she was supposed to be cleaning, canceling, which was convenient. And that's why she's at loose ends for a job, because apparently Bernie is now a cleaner. Yeah. I know she cleans Dev's house, but I didn't know that this was going to be like, she was going to be like a professional cleaner of, and, and get lots of clients and well, stuff. Well, How just, is she going to work in the kebab shop? After you've said that length, she's bought this cleaning stuff. She's invested in it. So she needs, she needs to make her money back somehow. Right. How else is she going to do that? So she's going to make her money back by getting it from the person that she paid for the industrial cleaner for. Some from. of it. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. This is what this is what these working class entrepreneurs do. This is Alan Sugar selling carry reels from the back of his car, supposedly. Yeah, please don't speak that man's name on this podcast again. <laughs> but when the charity guy comes in to pick the box up, Roy hasn't been back and hasn't gone through the box and Nina's busy with customers, so she doesn't notice when the box is taken away. Yeah, as well as other boxes. It's because they had other boxes there as well, and so it just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Roy finally gets back, and Nina's pleased to announce that they've cleaned out a lot of stuff, but gives him the job of going through a box that is no longer there. Oh, shit, says Nina. Oh, shit, indeed, says Roy, who knows what that box of stuff was. Yes. It was Haley's stuff. Yes. He tries to cover up his anger, but he's fucking furious. He is. And then he's fucking heartbroken at the loss of the red anorak. Yes. Nina goes to see Bernie and explains what happened and Bernie to her credit 
is happy to share responsibility of the snafu with Nina. And right. the two of them head out to find out where that stuff went. Yes. On Wednesday, Evelyn is pissed off having to work when there's a party going on in, a, in another storyline. Mm-hmm. A, a, a party that she believes she should be invited to. And when she learns from Nina that it's Roy's birthday, she uses this as an excuse to buy him a present and so abandons her post. That's <laughs> funny. It any was excuse, funny. any excuse not to work. That's right. Nina has gotten a massive Weatherfield sign from uh, when the tram stop was a train station, a detail that made Mersey Tart kill. <laughs> Bernie thinks it's the most boring <laughs> present that she's ever seen. Perfect for Roy. Yes. It's actually a really nice sign. It really is. I kind of want that sign. And Roy does seem to be taken with it and he gives it pride of place on the mantle. And then Evelyn comes in and gives him a toy train. Roy immediately recognises it as one of the trains that Nina inadvertently threw away with Haley's coat. Fire up the woody, shouts Evelyn, and then start the car. We're heading to the charity shop where surely all the rest of your junk uh, stuff is. Right. Didn't he sell the woody? He gave it to Nina. But didn't Nina sell it? He sold it. He gave he gave Nina's rolls to Nina, but he sold the Woody. No, I thought he gave the Woody to Nina as well. Because he just gave everything to Nina. No, because he needed the money to get to... I was going to no, say Costa Rica, but it wasn't Costa Rica. It was just South, South America. America. The continent of South America. Yes, he's going to the entire continent of South America. Which, of course, is just one big homogenous blob where everybody speaks the same and looks the same and acts the same. It's like Africa. Yeah. Or oh. Asia. <clears throat> Oh well. Oh well. At the charity shop, which is the same charity shop that Stephen got Imran's coat. Yes. Is this going to be a new set, do you think? Let's hope so. Well, it's already gotten two uses. Joy, the assistant, hasn't seen the red coat that Roy describes, reckoning it either went to another store or was recycled. So dejected, Roy and Evelyn leave. And then later, on their own for some reason, Evelyn passes by the store again and sees Joy closing up. And wouldn't you know it, she's bloody wearing Haley's red coat. What a fucking bitch, mutters Evelyn. I think Evelyn feels bad because at first she was quite snarky with with Roy about about his losses and about getting the stuff back until, you know, Nina tells her to wind her neck in because that was Haley's coat. On Friday, Evelyn bursts in on Joy, who insists it's her coat. But Evelyn's having none of it, wrestles it off her and rips a little bit of it in the process. She grabs it and leaves and she hightails it back to the cafe where she presents a coat to Roy. Save your applause. There's a little rip in it. I don't need any reward, says Evelyn. This isn't Haley's coat, says Roy. Off pig's tits, says Evelyn. So Roy calls Joy over and he and Evelyn do their best to smooth things over and promise to fix her coat after Roy explains the circumstances. And as compensation, Roy volunteers Evelyn to do some hours in the shop and then asks Evelyn to leave. Evelyn's not happy about this. No. But she agrees to it because it's Roy. Right. And she only departs for a short while and comes back with a birthday cake for Roy and it's red velvet to replace the red coat. And that's as far as we get with that. And she's about to sing and then she doesn't. And Roy says, thank God for that. Yeah. And they just have this lovely wee moment, the two of them sitting there. And she says, happy birthday, Roy. I'm sorry. Yeah. He blows out the candle and they have cake. Mm -hmm. Just the two of them. Yeah. Together. It was quite lovely. This is the storyline I like. This is this is the stuff that I think is in line with what the creator of Coronation oh, Street God. was <sighs> after when when he when he dreamed it up on the train. Do you know what? I can get Bring one of these all the way buttons. Back to trains. I can get one of these buttons just to say something about the 
what the creator of Coronation Street had in mind when he was sitting on his train. And, right. Or maybe you can record Spoiler it. Spoiler alert. I can just hit. It, what, it didn't involve guns. <laughs> but anyway, you know, just it, this very sweet, charming story where we get to see Roy emote and just be totally heartbroken and yet also being really conflicted because he's so angry but he also loves Nina and recognizes that Nina didn't didn't do this with intent no to get rid of Haley's stuff and the fact that Nina and Bernie and Evelyn are all very much team get the anorak back What's you know 100% great team name <laughs> thank you that's our, uh, our trivia quiz team name isn't it <laughs> thought it was the heineken zeros apparently apparently it is (laughs) you know it's just it's just a very sweet and lovely story and i'm really invested in them finding the red anorak and getting it back and i'm so invested in this and i love this storyline so very much and it reminds me that i still have your mom's red anorak Mm -hmm. hanging up in the living room you know i mean i wasn't around for the Haley, I was about stuff. to mention, yeah, but it is so much part of the history of the show, and also so very much a part of Roy's personality, right? That I, I can have never watched the Haley episodes and still be invested in a storyline that involves something of Haley's and. And know how Roy feels. Yeah, because you care about the characters who care about it. Right. But I can understand why they care about it. Yeah, because Roy, I think, says that it's you know it represents Haley, and I would go a stage further than that and say it is Haley mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes. This is him keeping the memory of his departed wife. Yes. And and yeah, that that quote very much like my mum's coat is when I think of my mum I think of her kind of in that red coat an awful lot right. of the time because that's, that's wandering about that's who she was and, right. and that's who Haley was and without that coat with that coat being somewhere where you don't know where it is it's I can imagine it bringing an awful lot of distress to, to Roy even though it's 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 transient it's right a, it's, yeah even it, though he hasn't looked at it for years he knows where it is he knows where it is and it's there if he ever needs to look at it right or pick it up and smell it and, right and hope that there's still some scent of Haley right in it you can absolutely see it so when he he seems accepting of the situation when he says to Evelyn that that's not her her coat mm-hmm. I kind of hope that that he's not given up on this no I no. want that. I want that quote back. Yes, me too. <laughs> I want. I want this to be like a whole thing where they, where they solve the mystery somehow. They they put their heads together. These three ladies who care about Roy so very much, and and figure it out, and and save it. And just the way, especially Evelyn, you know, is is there and and bakes this cake for him and everything. It, it reminds you that Evelyn still has a soft spot for Roy. <laughs> And she doesn't have a soft spot for many. No. Her family, basically, and, and Roy. Right. And that's about it. Yeah. We do seem to be setting up... Uh, we kind of joked about it a little bit 
of having the charity shop has been a, a new location. Mm-hmm. But with Evelyn potentially volunteering there, yes, I don't think that's been said for nothing. I, I, no. I assume that we're going to see her working in the charity shop and I imagine solving this coat right. problem as well. And I'm kind of looking forward to... To Joy and Evelyn together and right. sharing some scenes together because they're very, very different people. And Evelyn, you know, making comments about the things that people buy in the charity shop and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I'm quite looking forward to this. Yeah, I, ho- I hope that is a thing. I hope that isn't just a throwaway yes. remark that her putting in the hours and volunteering there becomes something that she does probably on the quiet. Right. Because she wouldn't want people to know about it. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. We've avoided it long enough. Yeah, we've, might as well get this. We're on to our final storyline of yes. the week. Yes. Which is engagement with fear. Or engagement with fear. Yeah, that's better. Let's do it that way. Engagement with <laughs> fear? No, no question engagement mark. Engagement with fear. Oh. Uh, on Sunday. <laughs> so this is what you saw. And was bursting to talk about it. <laughs> it was torture to not talk about this when I saw it. Yeah, and you seem to be having problems remembering where this episode started and stopped because you watched it all in one go. So when I'm talking about last week's episodes, it seemed to be... <laughs> Giving you an issue as to, well, does that include this or does that not include this? Right, yes. On Sunday, Gary and Kelly are talking up the upcoming nuptials when wouldn't you Adam and Eva, who walks into the Rose Gold flat, but Sharon. What the fucking hell are you doing here? asks Gary, lightheartedly. She's here to accept an invite from Kelly to the engagement party. Gulp, says Gary, again, mm. lightheartedly. Yes. The three of them go for a walk, Kelly and Sharon being all best buds. When Kelly goes off to work... This lets Gary exchange some opinions with Sharon. He tells her that he has Kelly's back and Sharon isn't needed here. Sharon, though, is worried that the whole Rick the Chin thing makes this kind of weird and he makes her promise not to rock the boat because Kelly's happy now. The three of them have lunch with Addy at the bistro. Kelly's off doing a shite while Addy mentions that that time Kelly was kidnapped. Wasn't that funny? This <laughs> makes Sharon question exactly how much Gary has Kelly's back if he's allowing Kelly to go, go off and get kidnapped and stuff. Yeah, in fairness, he did risk life and limb to save her. Mm-hmm. He insists it's all under control. And when Kelly comes back, she asks Gary to give her away. Fucking hell, says Sharon. Lightheartedly. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Kelly rushes off to tell Maria, but she's speaking to Jay, an old mate of Laura, if you know what I mean. She used to visit him in Spain, and he's brought back a bag of her belongings, and all of this rather fortuitously on the day that Sharon showed up again. Right. (laughs) Isn't it convenient how these things kind of line themselves up so conveniently? Convenient? Yes. It's convenient. It is convenient. Because when Kelly gets the bag home, she discovers that there's a digital camera with a battery that doesn't ever run out. No. And she's able to see some holiday pictures. It's a miracle! Of Laura in Spain, date stamped, when she was supposedly busy killing her dad. It's a magical digital camera in which Laura has expertly pre-programmed to have the accurate date on and actually cared about that sort of thing. Because I've had many, many digital cameras... And I never set up the date properly. And it's not like it's not like a smartphone that does that automatically. Mm. 
but yeah, sure. Let's let's just sweep all of all of this technology stuff under the carpet as we typically do. Well, when it's again when it's convenient to do so. Right. <clears throat> yes. You know, Laura always appreciated the higher megapixel rate yes. that you could get on a digital camera rather than her her phone, for example. <gasps> Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Seemed yeah. to have been taking selfies of herself because who else would you take a selfie of with this digital camera? Well, I think that... Making the, sure it was date stamped accordingly and making sure that the battery was well charged in case it was going to have to sit unused for two or three years. In a bag. <clears throat> See, in my experience of that, the battery ends up leaking <laughs> and corroding everything that's round about it. Well, not if it's like one of those batteries that you take out and and charge it if it was like double a's or something yeah it mm. totally would have leaked and corroded but i don't think that you would use those kind of batteries and but still it, it doesn't matter what kind of battery it is the fact that she just automatically turns it on and that's the first picture that comes up pretty and, much yeah, right yeah last weekend apropos of nothing i bought my daughter well i bought my daughter a digital camera at an auction and then she bought herself a digital camera at an estate sale. Mm-hmm. And um, neither one of those had been left in a bag for years. And both of them were not charged. No. And in fact, one of them, we had to go online <laughs> to buy a charger. I think I bought a charger that's for... worth more than the camera. Right. Yeah. So it feels like we're already setting up a storyline in like the laziest quickest way possible like oh shit kelly's leaving you know how are we going to do this i could i could maybe accept that she found the camera and the camera had the date on it and the picture I, I, I could i could accept that i think i could also accept that um this j character turns up out of nowhere mm-hmm. with some of our stuff having seen the competition Right, thing. yeah, having seen now, the... presumably he wasn't in Spain when he saw that, because that was the way the Gazette that was running that competition. Right, so, and but anyway, having seen could, this, but not, you know, the reports of of Laura being found guilty of killing Rick the Chin and of Rick the Chin's body being found, he, di- he didn't come back for any of those. No, it was for Kelly and Addie's... Because he doesn't even know that Laura's dead. He doesn't know who, who Kelly is. And but I could still, I could still just about accept him turning up uh-huh. unannounced, and I can accept Sharon turning up because Kelly's got on the phone right. because Sharon's the only person that knows her, and right, yeah, and all that that stuff absolutely makes sense. Yeah. To have all three of those things happen in the same forty-four right. minute episode eh. is asking an awful lot of of my disbelief to ignore that. Right. Yeah. And, I and mean, that's my problem with it. And I mean, it would not have hurt. And in fact, it may have helped for her to find this camera, it not be charged and say, oh, I'm going to plug this in and see what is on this camera and have some tension there mm-hmm. of, oh, what is she going to find on the camera? Right. And then a little later on in the episode, maybe even after the conversation she has later with Sharon to find to find these photos and for the for that to be reinforcing what Sharon tells her instead of this being the thing 
that she talks to Gary about that Gary talks to Sharon about that makes Sharon say what she does to Kelly later. You know, the, the, am I making sense? No, but I think <laughs> if the, with more time, it's Addy who does this because Kelly's not interested in the camera because it no. represents her mum. Right. And she's still pissed at her mum for killing her dad. Right. So it's Addy who does this. It's Addy that, that takes a camera and finds a charger and gets some photographs and right. and puts them together in a display right. that's shown at, during the engagement party. Right. And then Kelly says, wait a second. Right. That's what should happen. Right. Look. But it can't because we've no time for that. No. We're, we're up against the clock here. Which means maybe we don't do the big convoluted storyline for the exit yeah, maybe we have to think of something else that doesn't maybe we do, do something a bit more more simpler mm. and i well we'll get to the volume wall later <laughs> so she goes off to show gary the photographs and actually uses a line what was the date that my mum killed my dad she points at a discrepancy with the dates and asks who killed her dad if her mum didn't because this date is a date that my mum was supposed to have killed my dad. Gary very lightheartedly suggests that the cameras are renowned for getting dates wrong and yeah. she should ignore all this new evidence. And he's not wrong. Kelly writes it all off but when she's explaining this to Sharon and Addy and how she wants to forget about her family, Sharon suddenly gets about a conscious conscience. A bit of conscience. About let yeah, I'm 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 curious about Sharon's motivations in all of this. Yeah, but so I suppose we will talk about that in a little bit. Sharon goes to shout at Gary, suddenly now suspicious that he didn't kill Rick in self-defense, given how sweetly everything has landed for him, because he's got the factory and everything. And I remember that he has the factory. He's leasing it to the Knicker people. Gary points out that Sharon was happy for Laura to take the blame, but shit's changed now. He's walking her down the aisle in place of the man that he murdered says Sharon. Gary insists the whole family loves Kelly, which is why Laura went along with the plan, and he accuses Sharon of dragging Kelly back to the past and asks her to back him up about the dates on the photo. And so she does. The next time she sees Kelly, she suggests that the camera prob- probably fell down the lavvy. That was the camera that lo- that Laura dropped down the lavvy. And that seems to reassure Kelly again. Mm. Yes, and she sings, because, because electronics <laughs> are notoriously successful at working once being exposed to water very very waterproof this reassures kelly again and she sings gary's praises and this just pours a bucket of sand into sharon's vagina and she tells kelly not to believe everything gary says this spurs kelly to question further and sharon doesn't take much more coaxing before telling kelly (sighs) that it were gary what killed her dad supposedly to save sharon to save Sarah and the kids. Right. Kelly has seen Gary's vicious temper and remembers a time when she was suspicious uh, of him herself, but he was able to persuade her otherwise. Sharon consoles her as Kelly remembers all the creepy shit Gary has done for the last couple of years. And she goes Mostly in defence of her. But remember, he was creepy as fuck for the longest time we are. Because he had no business right. being interested in her in the slightest. Right. Kelly goes back to the Rose Gold flat as Gary's struggling to get Liam and Jake. It's Jake, is it? Yeah, pleased to meet you. To calm down, threatening to turn Kelly on them, but doing so lightheartedly. Yeah, says Kelly, you have no idea what shit I'm capable of. And Gary does his best not to swallow the gallon of saliva that's in his mouth now. On Tuesday, Kelly is... Put there by Stephen. Before we get to that, can we talk about Sharon a wee bit? Sure. The catalyst, seemingly, for Sharon... 
just spilling all of the beans is how happy Kelly is and how settled Kelly is with Gary. Yep. Do you feel like... That Rick the Chin is not getting the proper... I don't think it has anything to do with Rick. Well, it does, because she's she's wanting to forget that Rick and Laura ever existed. She's replacing all that in her head now with Gary. Gary's the one that's that's taking Rick's yeah, place and walking me down but, the aisle and stuff. But, but Sharon didn't like Rick either. Sharon was afraid of Rick, too. Sharon has had no problem with the fact that Rick is dead for the longest time. Now, all of a sudden... All of a sudden, she's upset. And I think it has to do with Sharon having been part of that life with Kelly and Mm -hmm. Kelly putting that life aside and, in a way, putting Sharon aside, even though she's called Sharon and everything. Right. And Sharon not being the one to give Kelly all of the things that Gary has given her and the settled life. And Sharon not getting a settled life out of any of this. Or we're in a hurry to tell the story. Right, that that too. But I'm just I'm trying to figure out a motivation for Sharon to spill the beans right after Kelly says, "I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. My life is so good now. I am so settled and happy because I have Gary and Maria, but I also have this job and I have this fiance and I have all of this other stuff as well." You know, and right. Kelly has Rick's money. You know? Mm-hmm. Kelly has benefited more than Gary has from the death of Rick. So, an awful lot of this just feels very rushed, like you said, and it doesn't make an awful lot of sense. But in just trying to maybe squeeze a little sense out of Sharon's reaction, all I can think of is that there's some jealousy in the fact that she herself as well has been replaced in Kelly's life by Gary. Cause remember it was Sharon who insisted that Gary continue to pay for Kelly's schooling and to keep sending support. Yeah. We're going to keep an eye on you and make sure right. you do all this. Make sure that you do all this for Kelly. So Gary wouldn't have done any of this and Kelly wouldn't be living with Gary and be so happy if it weren't for Sharon insisting in the very beginning. And she's not getting any credit for that because of course she isn't because if she mentions it, then it kind of spills the beans about why she insisted that Gary take care of her. So she can't throw herself under the bus. Well, I think, I think she has thrown herself under the bus to a certain extent because she's admitting that she knew all this right. and didn't tell Kelly for years about it. Right. And and saying, oh, well, he said it was in self-defense, but I don't know when she knows very well what Rick was capable of and I think was aware of Rick doing what Rick tried to do to Gary to other people. And she tells this, she drops this bombshell and then she fucks off. Right. Yeah. Immediately. She's Ta- not, never seen again. Yeah. So on Tuesday, Kelly's fantasizing about twatting Gary over the head with a baseball bat while the ghost of Rick the Chin quotes Shakespeare at her. And there's foreboding music. He that dies pays all debts. Which actually means that Kelly's subconscious is quoting Shakespeare at her. Quoting The Tempest, specifically. Yes. I didn't think that that was particularly a well-known Shakespeare quote. It's no to be or not to be. Well, but, yeah. And but... I didn't think The Tempest was a well-studied play at school. And I didn't think that Kelly spent an awful lot of time at school. But here we are, Kelly's quoting it to herself. It wasn't my school. 
after the, well that means that it's absolutely relevant here then <laughs> i'm just i'm just saying and but, i would imagine that in a in a british school you do a lot of shakespeare you do hamlet and you do macbeth I really that's it Tempest. and she's never at school well she's graduated now hasn't she still graduate you just stop going <laughs> After this reverie, Kelly tells Gary about Sharon not making the party, which is a shame because she always looked out for her. But now she has Gary, and Gary misses the ominous tone when he gets a call from the coppers. On the base road, Summer and Asher are trying to plan Kelly's engagement party with Debbie, but having little success. And when Kelly finally arrives, she informs him that she hasn't got time to help because the cops have nabbed her kidnapper, and she has to go identify him. Asha chooses this moment to explain how Todd had mentioned Gary is a good guy to have in your corner when it comes to gangsters. So Kelly goes to have a word with Todd and asks on behalf of a friend whether he has any dodgy gangster contacts. He tells her to tell a friend to contact the police or a teacher. <laughs> Later, Gary gets a Not hold... Not suspicious at all. No. Later, Gary gets a hold of her and wants to go to the cop shop with her to identify these lowlifes what kidnapped her. She stalls him, saying that she has an engagement party stuff to organise first. But rather than doing that, she catches Addy before he heads into town and gets her mum's stuff so she can go back to the Rose Gold flat and look at some old photos with the ghost of Rick the Chin. And the ghost of Rick the Chin points to a photo of Gary and Maria and calls them a pair of shite bags, especially the ginger one. So she goes along to the cop shop and disappoints PC Tinker by saying that the man who kidnapped her is not in the lineup, even though he absolutely is. And when that kidnapper bloke is released and still in the parking lot of the police station, Kelly jumps into his car. Conveniently, Kelly him, is there as well. And asks him to kill Gary for £10,000. Otherwise, she'll tell the pigs that she remembers his face after all. Are you threatening me, little girl? He says. I'm not a little girl. I'm Kelly fucking Nealon. <laughs> Back at the Rose Gold flat. Gary walks in as Kelly's on the phone trying to get £10,000 transferred into her current account. She lets him believe it's for her engagement party and he's upset that she allowed her kidnapper to walk, so she storms out. Separately, we learn that Addy has been to town to buy an engagement ring, then he and Kelly go to the community garden and she announces that she would rather escape Weatherfield and she suggests going to Thailand. And also, Addy is now friends with Simon and Aaron. Yeah. That Aaron... The guy who is currently sort of seeing Addie's ex-girlfriend. And Simon, the guy who was trying to get into Addie's current fiancé's pants before... Like she, a bear. She, <laughs> he gets down it's on nice to see Simon, though. It's like he's finally showed back up. He still exists. And, and, and there's no explanation. No explanation been. as to where he has been all this time. He gets down on the knee, Addie that is, and presents Kelly with his ring. Agreeing but to, not like that. Agreeing to join her on her adventures. Meanwhile in the Rovers, Todd asks Gary if Kelly's alright because he saw her earlier and she was weird as fuck asking him about dodgy contacts. And despite this new knowledge, when Gary meets Kelly in the flat, he's under the impression that she's still terrified about her kidnapper being loose. So when she says the money is for a holiday to get away from it all, he agrees to release it. And while this is going on, Dev has a change of heart and calls Addy a romantic fool. And if he's allowed, he'd like to be at the engagement party. Right. And he gives Addy his blessing. Wasn't it a talk from with Evelyn or was it? No, it was, it was in the pub. Yeah, I think it was. With Jenny? Sure, why not? Why not? Later in the alleyway of doom, Kelly meets up with the kidnapper bloke and transfers half his money to him. But warning him to wait until she's out of the country before doing the job. He's surprised that she doesn't want to see Gary dead on the slab. He that dies pays all debts, says Kelly. Huh? 
asks the kidnapper, who <laughs> definitely hasn't studied the Tempest. No. Business concluded for now. She meets up with Addy and they agree to flee the country as soon as this engagement party is over. On the Wednesday, it's engagement party time and Maria offers to do Kelly's makeup and hair, which seems like the very base minimum that she can do. Meanwhile, Addy's practising his speech for the engagement party and worrying about the lack of monster crunch, which makes Dev think that he's not mature enough to get engaged. Benny suggests dropping the kiddie cereal if he wants to get his hole on a semi-regular basis. He speaks to Kelly on the phone, talking about the flights to Thailand, and we see that Kelly, rather than buying return tickets, which Addy oddly specifies, Kelly's buying them one way. Later, when Maria's doing her hair, Kelly asks her if she ever had any doubts about Gary, especially with what he's capable of with the Rick the Chin stuff. Maria says that Gary, beneath it all, is a good guy, and she was willing to accept him, ginger hair and all. Yeah, that's a that's a rewrite of history right there, there, Maria. On the way to the party, Gary reveals that he found out that Kelly's staying at the Affinity Hotel. Very swish, not the Rape Hotel. No. Kelly seems distracted and puts it down to not liking the limelight. When she arrives... Addy immediately starts with a speech, calling Kelly kind and beautiful, and the wedding will be in Vegas, which makes Dev shut himself. And, and Mary is in a sari. Uh, and uh, has made this big, massive flower wall, and I'm just wondering what sort of discount she gave <laughs> for that, and how Tracy must be seething. Addy name-checks the extended family, and the love that he and Kelly have for them all, especially Gary, what with them being ginger and all. Kelly steps into the office to take a call from Kieran the Kidnapper, who announces the hit will be today or never, so decide now if you want it to happen. And coaxed on by the ghost of Rick the Chin, she gives him the green light. Later, outside, Kelly's looking nervous when Addy comes out to check on her, but before they can talk about anything, a distraught Asher comes to warn that Dev is on the stage with a microphone. No! As everybody rushes back in. Dev's had a shandy and is absolutely fucked as he drones on about loving his son and being fairly ambivalent towards Kelly. (laughs) Gary pulls him off. But not like that. And then removes him from the stage. Armed with the mic, Gary takes a moment to tell the room that he loves Kelly and having her in the family and he really hopes that she's not planning on killing him. But when they hug afterwards, she whispers, yeah, kill you like you killed my dad. She rushes out. He chases after her, and then they see Kieran the kidnapper. Before he, but before he can do anything, he's twatted over the head and bundled into a minivan. Kieran wants his money. You'll get it when he's dead. Kelly says, "You are one cold bitch, honey." Says Kieran, and then he and his pal drive off with supervillain Gary from a few, few years ago. <clears throat> that was the strong language that we were warned about on ITV. Yeah. You what? are one cold bitch. See, you don't ever get those warnings on the Brit box. No, you don't. So Kelly is already looking like she regrets it when she bumps into Nina, and she apologizes to Nina again for everything that happened, and tells Nina that Nina knows what a nasty bit of work she is. Nina says that she doesn't think that of Kelly, and that people choose to be what they are, and Kelly is nice in that now. Meanwhile, Gary has been taken to the site where he killed and buried Rick the Chin. How does anybody know where that is? Which is now not a Weather County training ground. No, it seems to be the original place where he buried Rick the Chin. And I'm like, nobody but Rick and Gary know where that is. Kieran explains that all this is Kelly's doing. She's the one who ordered the hit. And Gary actually co-signed on the payment. Now dig your fucking grave for dramatic effect. Back at the party, folk are starting to wonder where Gary is. Maria and Liam give uh, Kelly... And Jake. A framed picture 
of them when they were dressed like Star Trek. And this sends Kelly back to the office where she calls Kieran and tells him to cancel the hit and she'll still pay him in full. You're the boss, says Kieran the kidnapper. Gary is still alive and digging his hole. But Kieran, I like that. Kieran and his accomplice chat about this privately and decide that the risk is too great so they should kill Gary and Kelly. So Kieran goes off to take care of her. Well, they were always going to kill Kelly. You think so? Yeah. This was always part of their bungling plan. <laughs> Back at the party, Addy asks Asha to be his best man at his wedding. And Asha is momentarily made up until she points out that Addy doesn't have any mates. But she'll be happy to oblige. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron and Simon. Dev's still right. And Dev, wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if he had his dad be his best man? Oh, no. You want to purposefully give Dev a microphone? <laughs> yes. Dev's still right. And they have a family hug. Kelly grabs Addy and tells him that she wants to head to the hotel now without saying goodbye. Addy calls this a French exit, which I assume was something else. <laughs> Meanwhile, Gary's still digging his grave when he tells the henchman accomplice that his shoelaces are untied or something, and then twats him unconscious with the shovel. Right, this is like... Henchman 101, Kidnapping really. 101. Don't ever leave somebody alone with the person you've kidnapped. And especially if the person's not tied up and has a weapon in their hand. He grabs his phone back and calls Kelly, but has to leave a message saying that Kieran the kidnapper's coming after her. Then he calls Maria, but it's Jake who answers and explains that Kelly has snuck off to that hotel and Maria's off doing a shite or something. And then Gary's phone dies. Because of course it did. <laughs> this, this, it should have had the same battery as the digital, digital camera. This camera can right? stay on yeah. for two years. And it's fine, but not Gary's phone. At the hotel, Addy is us in a hotel. He's particularly taken by the coffee sachets in the bath. Kelly sees that she has a missed call from Gary, but then gets a call from Kieran. She sneaks off to speak to him while Addy runs a bath. Kieran says it's all gone pear-shaped and he needs to see her, so she tells him where she is. <laughs> Later, she still hasn't uh, listened to that voicemail from Gary, and Kieran calls her to let her know that he's outside. Didn't wouldn't <coughs> wouldn't if if you've hired someone to kill someone, and then the person that you've that you want dead calls you and leaves a voicemail, wouldn't you want to listen <coughs> to that immediately? Like immediately? Like yeah, wait a second, why is this person still alive, and why are they calling me when they know that I'm the person who wants them dead? You also wouldn't put the kidnapper's name on your phone. No. She goes down the elevator. Especially if you don't have Summer, Summer's name on your in your phone. When you expect Summer to plan your engagement party for you, she goes down the elevator while Gary comes up. And when she goes outside, Kieran and his henchman, who has, who I thought was the same henchman, no, but, but it's it not. They throw Kelly into the minivan and they speed away. And at this point, it's time for our hard debate. Oh no. So who do we reckon has a bucket primed for the kicking and ready to make it onto the 2022 Corey In Memoriam list tonight, I asked, before the episode was aired? Was it Kelly, Gary, both of them, or neither of them? And I chose neither of them. And neither of them came in at 37.3%, both of them 8.5%, Gary 5.1%, so Gary even less likely than both of them, but Kelly was up there at 49.2%. Yeah. They, yeah. On Friday, Gary knocks on Addy's door looking for Kelly and frantically he gets Addy to call her. 
There's no answer, so Gary gets Addy to track her location on his phone. Addy insists on coming along while they give chase. And Addy is made of questions as they track her in the car, but Gary is short on answers and ginger. <laughs> they pull in a building and find Kelly's phone on the pavement. Where have they taken Kelly? Well, it looks like they've taken her to the parking lot at a tall building that's presumably still open and has working elevators. Or, oh no, there's a wonderful fire escape. We're going up here. You don't have to worry about getting down, says Kieran. So here's the plan. Kieran plans to plant the gun that killed Gary on Kelly and then throw her to her death. Yeah, but they don't have the gun who killed. Problem being, the guy with the gun is MIA. And truth be told, like I said, I thought this was the same henchman that was on the roof, but apparently he had a brother. They look very alike. They don't look alike at all. They do. With henchman number one still AWOL, Kelly offers the 400000 that she has in her trust fund, but Kieran just wants rid of the problem and her, and he tells her to jump off the building. Gary and Addy are cruising around nearby, and they hear her screams from the roof of the building. Gary runs off to help, telling Addy to call the cops. So Kelly walks to the edge, looks down and says, Nope, I ain't jumping. Kieran orders henchman number two to push her and then Gary appears on the roof to the surprise of no one. This has worked out fine, says Kieran, and Gary offers his life for Kelly's. Meanwhile, back at the party... I know you intend to kill both of us, but just kill me! Meanwhile, back at the party, Death has sobered up a bit as he finds... Which is still going on! He finds Maria worried that Gary has disappeared. Back on the roof, Kieran orders Gary to beg for Kelly's life, which is a weird kink, but Gary obliges. But Kieran just wanted to hear it and then says that they're both going to die. And he says, I'm going to kill her first. So Kieran goes to pull the trigger just as Addy throws himself in the no. path of the bullet in slow motion. <laughs> and I should laugh. I know. That was kind of terrible. Kieran's gun then jams and he and the henchmen make a run for it just as the cops arrive. And Gary and Kelly tend to Addy's body. And this happens just at the break, and, and I'm like, you better not be fucking killing Addy here. Because this is what happened with Seb. We weren't ex- expecting anything like this to happen. Right. And then all of a sudden, they pulled the rug from under us that, oh, they've, they've distracted us by saying that Kelly's leaving. But is it really Addy that's leaving? Is it really Adam Hussein <sighs> who's off? Leaving? I'm now nervous. Right, yes. No. <laughs> Just like Apu when he threw himself in front of... Who did, who did Apu throw himself in front of? Was it, it was the slushy machine. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> but, yes. Back at Dev's, Maria asks him to call Addy, but before he can, he gets a call from Addy's phone, but it's Gary. And as he breaks the news, Dev collapses. Maybe he's still pished after all. Right, yes. Gary... Dev reacts more to to this apparent, you know, threat to his son's life than he did that other time his son's life was threatened when it was his fault. Last year, yes. Last year, at this time. Was it this time? It was October. Ah. Because it was around about Halloween, remember? Right, yes. And now I get to use my hotspot music. That's a good wee tune, that. In the hospital, Dev bursts in to learn from Gary and Kelly that Addy is in surgery. 
Dev is quick to blame Kelly, but Gary quickly concocts a story that's 65% true about the associates of Rick the Chin who were looking for revenge and Addy was just caught in the crossfire. Shortly later, Addy is out of surgery and he's going to be okay. Phew! Dev wants to prevent Kelly from seeing him, but he's overruled. And then a copper arrives to announce that the two men uh, that were escaping the scene have been arrested, but are refusing to talk. And oddly enough, it's not PC Tinker. It's not PC Tinker. He's got the night off. Right, and oddly enough... Aggie is not working in the hospital that night. He also needs to speak to Kelly while Dev shouts about stuff and no one listens to him. At Addy's bed, Kelly apologises for everything. He thinks everything's going to be okay now, but she knows it's not. There's lots he doesn't know. So tell me, he says, doped up to the eyeballs. She sums it up by saying that she's just like her dad. She's a kneeling, it's in her genes, and because of her, he nearly died and she can't keep putting him through this. She gives him his ring back and tells him that, she, like that. that she's going to Thailand on her own. And in tears, she leaves while he calls out after her. No. News I... of all this has got back to Maria and Liam demands to know what's going on. When Kelly gets back, not in the mood to chat, but sickened to know that Maria knew too. And oddly wearing a grey sweatshirt and grey sweatpants and not the dress that she's been wearing. She had that on all under her dress. <laughs> She packs her stuff while Maria tries to apologise. And then Gary gets back, and before Kelly leaves, he asks for five minutes to tell her everything. Meanwhile, back at the hospital, Dev finally gets to see Addy, who says that they've caught the men who did this. When Dev isn't heartbroken to learn that Kelly's gone, Addy is sick, blaming his dad for forcing her to leave, but he promises that he didn't. And he didn't. No, not this time. Then at the flat, Gary goes through it. Yes, I killed your dad, he says. He owed money and Rick threatened Sarah and the kids and led him to the grave in the woods. But it was an accident. Kelly has seen the side of Gary before and Gary says that he's protective of people he loves. Kelly wonders if she was a guilt trip and Gary confirms that, yeah, it was to start with, but he loves her now. She's like his daughter. They're both damaged, but they're both decent people. He's glad the police are coming for him now because it's finally over, but she tells him that she didn't grass him up. Gary would have died for her, she says, so let's just call that even. But there's no way back for them both. She can't forgive him, and she only called off the hit for Liam and Jake. No mention of Zach. Right. She needs to go before she becomes more like her dad. That's because Zach was it did that picture, that Star Trek picture. Right. And this is why Jake is back in the show and living in the rose gold flat. He says he loves her, and she loves him too, but it was all just a lie in the end. She leaves as Maria consoles Gary, and in a somewhat busy dead of night, Kelly slowly walks away from Coronation Street. No black taxi. No black taxi. No black taxi. That's rubbish. And that's Give how that we end girl, this week's episode. Get that girl a black taxi. So, do, do we have to talk about the volume wall? So the volume wall was on the rooftop scenes where there was kind of out of focus cityscape of Manchester. Very, very out of focus, blurry lights in the background <sighs> and then there's a scene where a bottle falls from the roof and we see it yeah there was quite a bit of cgi fall and then shatter at at the bottom there was cars driving into cameras as they swoop across the street and there was a camera zooming up the wall of the building and, and stuff it didn't it honestly didn't annoy me as much as i thought it was going to no but here's the thing it didn't annoy me because it was such a nothing burger. It was a bunch of things that very easily and probably for less money could have been done with practical effects. They don't like shooting at night. 
They really don't like shooting at night. Well, I can uh, even even if they don't like shooting at night, they could have shot on a on a soundstage, which they did, but without a volume wall with with, with practical effects behind it. And it would have looked about the same, especially since they made it so blurry. It was, you know, there was, there was all this talk about, you know, Marvel-like special effects and never been done before on a soap opera and all this other stuff. They, I think they shot themselves in the foot by talking it up so much that by the time it happened, you're like, this is it? Yeah, if they hadn't mentioned that at all, I, I doubt I would have noticed. No, I, I wouldn't have been looking out for it and then being disappointed because it just, it's fine. And, you know, this, this, and this was my, this was my issue with it all along. And this is what I was concerned about when this was first announced. You know, stuff like this works really well when you're in a fantasy world or a science fiction world, or a superhero world, these effects are Im- are important because you're doing something that does not exist in the real world, so you can't really use practical effects for. But when but this is this is those scenes in the prequels all over again, where where George Lucas is CGIing chairs and an office mm. in the background behind Anakin. Skywalker talking and to... And a post that says, you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps. <laughs> you know, it's just, when you can use practical effects, you should use practical effects. When you're not... And, I mean, don't get me wrong. I have watched soap operas that had aliens and, and possessions by the devil and things like that in them where, where they had to use something other than practical effects for some of it. This, this isn't that show. And, you know, again, they have this whole storyline. You know, I, I thought, I honestly thought, because Kelly is leaving the show and because they're talking up how important it is to use these special effects for this particular scene, that somebody, whether it was Kelly or Gary or Addie or the kidnappers, which would have been the most interesting to happen, was going to fall off. Right. And that's what it was going to be used for. Something that, you know, it would be cheaper to do with CGI and a volume wall than practical effects because you don't have to hire a stunt person to do it. Right. And that didn't happen. It was basically, oh no, I'm standing here and I'm being threatened to fall off this wall. And then this guy has a gun and he's going to kill us. And then he doesn't kill us because his gun jams? He said he had one other bullet. He said he had two other bullets. No, he said he had one other bullet. He had two bullets in the gun, presumably one for Gary and one for Kelly. Right. I don't know how that works with his suicide alibi that he was dreaming up. But yeah, the the gun jamming was, let's call that fortuitous. I think the, the bit, the effect that they got right or the effect that worked really well was something that I didn't realise was an effect until later, which mm-hmm. is a good sign. That it didn't stand out as being right. an effect. And that was the scene with Gary digging his grave was shot in broad daylight. Right. They released photographs of the the behind the scenes filming mm-hmm. of that. Because yeah. normally when they do 
evening or night that's short during the day, it's got a blue filter on it, basically. Right. And, and you can it stands out a mile away that, mm-hmm. wait a minute, this doesn't... The, the ambience of it isn't mm-hmm. right. So you, it kind of stands out. There's something not... Not, not, not quite right. Not, uh, yeah, there's, there's not uh, an authentic look to the to the contrast and the brightness. But they did the, the scene of Gary digging the grave, I thought, very well. Yeah, except that Gary doesn't get dirty. <clears throat> It doesn't. Well, that's got nothing to do with the special effects. No. <laughs> so, and that's what I'm talking about. Yes. But the uh, the volume wall again. I, I didn't really notice it, but as you've said, I'm kind of expecting to notice it because they made a big right. deal about it. But it's. I guess it, it's good that I didn't notice it because it's. It's not a character. It's not. It's not story. It's just. A background. Well, yeah. And again, you know, I was fully expecting the use of the volume wall to be part of the story, because why would you why would you use this effect and why would you do a million interviews and have a million articles about about it and how important it's going to be to for the story and then for it to just be the background? Well, what disappointed me far more than the special effects or lack thereof or or introduction of new techniques Kelly was never in charge of her own rescue in this. No. Kelly was at the... She was either going to be killed by Kieran, she was going to be rescued by Gary, or she was going to be rescued by Addy. Right. And she was a very passive player in her own exit story. Very much so. That that is disappointing. And that disappointed me more than anything else did. Because if there was a character who was headstrong and demanded to be you could argue that she made the decision to leave right and to go to thailand on her own but right and but she that's made the de- after the fact she made the decision to hire her own kidnapper who I, she needed to be in charge of this more and she was it, it's like if if carla was to leave and it was uh peter that rescued her i think i think you'd have a similar kind of feel about it that you know let's make let's make her not the damsel in distress right let's make her be the the hero of it or the heroine of it right and she was none of those things yeah and she never got a chance to be in every one of kelly's storylines she's either the damsel in distress or she's the b villain you know she's not the a villain right she's always the b villain she was always the b villain to Corey. you know Yes, she's the one who released that video of Asha, but Corey was the one who recorded it to begin with, which is the more evil thing. She deserved more than, she, than yeah. this for her exit, I felt. Yeah. I thought I thought she did well. Yes. And I thought that it's uh, overall, looking at it away from the detail of it, we'll probably think of it as being a decent exit, but I thought it could have been better mm-hmm. if she'd been more in charge of it. Right. And... Guns and Stunts, while being a fantastic band, and I love their second album, it's it always seems to have to be the fallback to the okay. Right. If someone's leaving, then this is what we have to go to. Is this right. is this our Super Soap Week? I don't know, but it has that kind of feel to it. It has that kind of um, atmosphere to it, and the aftermath of it is going. I think feel quite like a Super Soap Week aftermath. Mm. But I guess. I guess we can say for it that at least the guns didn't have to float. Yeah. But, yeah. But I, I mean, didn't need to get shot. Right, yeah. And do you know the... 
And then, and you know, again, Addy gets shot, but then 10 minutes later, he's fine. Yeah. There's no real, there's no real risk here. There's no real accountability because once again, Gary has gotten off. Once again, Gary has not been held accountable for anything. I guess he kind of loses Kelly, you know, this, this adopted daughter that he loves so very much now. Mm-hmm. But that's it. He's gotten away with this again. And let's all remember, he has still consistently gotten away from killing Rana. Yep. You know? Oh, that's has, completely forgotten. Who has now. nobody to advocate for her now because Imran is now also dead. Yeah. And her mother is a pariah. I. It's just, at least with the Roy and Evelyn story about the Anorak... There was there a volume is, roll on that, by the way. That whole uh, charity <laughs> shop is all CGI. There, there is, there is the threat that they're never going to find it, and that Roy is going to lose this thing that is very important to him. And yes, it may be a storyline that furthers his relationships with Evelyn and Bernie and Nina, and also makes him recognize something in himself, which I think has already started to happen. But there's there's a there's a genuine risk there because it doesn't involve guns and it doesn't involve anyone dying. Right. And so it's relatable and it's believable and it's something that you can feel sad about because you care about these characters. And I suppose I I really didn't do the show justice by watching the fourth season of Stranger Things right before watching these episodes. Mm. You know, where the CGI is done quite well and quite believably, you know, does in anyone, the upside down. Does anyone throw themselves in front of a, a bullet? Oh, don't spoil it for anybody. Because that, <laughs> that, again, was part that the logistics of throwing yourself in front of a bullet and successfully getting yourself in front of that bullet. Right. I don't know that it's because, as easy as because you'd have requiring to, slow motion. Right, because, <laughs> because you'd have to know... <laughs> before the trigger is pulled, that the trigger is about to be pulled just at that moment Mm -hmm. for you to be faster than a bullet unless you're Superman. Otherwise you fly past and the guy with the gun says, okay, now you're gone. Now I'm going to shoot you. Right. Yeah. I was, (laughs) I, I audibly groaned when, when there was any flying body Mm -hmm. is going to be the, the get out of jail card on this. Right. Just, and then uh, when this, the gun this jams, this deserved better. It deserved better than other. Kelly that. deserved better. Th- than Millie that. deserved you know, better. And maybe, maybe if there was a character again who deserved to have a somewhat explosive exit, than than Kelly, who has drama falling around for the last couple of years, maybe she is the character that, that deserves it. But but again, if you're going to do it, let's not have throwing yourself in front of a bullet. Let's not have a a gun jamming. A gun jamming. Let's not have any guns. And. And let's not have uh, two white knights coming along to to save her. Right. Let, let's make it. Let's, let's make, make it her a, save herself. Let's make it a, a Kelly story. And it's frustrating because this has been the complaint that we've had about all of the Kelly storylines, where we were like, where we've been, give the kid a break. Let's have Kelly have a storyline that's not overly dramatic. That's not, you know involving her being kidnapped or her being threatened or her 
falling on hard times or her getting addicted to drugs. Let's let's have her let's let's have her be successful and move on because of her success. Let's have her be happy and in love with Addie and then both leave to parts unknown. And then maybe in a year or two, they both come back and they're happy and they're successful. I, the positive I'm taking from this, though, is that the door hasn't been closed on, on Millie Gibson. Right. She's alive. There's a potential. As Merzitart said, she's going to be in Thailand talking to Kate, joining <laughs> the dots about Rana. And then occasionally <clears throat> Gail will show up. Right. So she could come back. And if she... And, and I hope that she does, because I've enjoyed her character. I think she's a great actress. I think she's done really well with the, the storylines that she's been given. I think she's made that character her own and developed her over the, the years. So I think from that point of view, it's been a success. And and if we don't see her again or whatever she's going up to in the, in the future, we wish her the best of luck, clearly. I hope we see her again in bigger and better things, you know, in Hollywood movies and theater and just being just eating i want her to eat i want her to eat it all i want her to just thrive <coughs> in everything and everywhere and, you know as, as we've seen some of the others who have left do quite looking forward to uh alexandra's new show and it seems like uh Charlie's theatre debut is going along swimmingly yep. and you know I'm just heartbroken that we're not going to make it we're waiting for the mid-Michigan run of that so, <laughs> so that was the week that was Coronation Street yes what was your moment of the week Evelyn and Roy eating cake low octane at my speed baby and and her kind of apologizing to him and 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 him you know him accepting that apology and accepting that he may never see the end. He didn't accept the apology. Well, he 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 did as much as Roy can do. <laughs> I am I am saddened that I just don't feel like any of the Kelly leaving storyline. Just none of it really did anything for me. It just. I seen McGarry at the end. I thought was was very well done. Uh, the scene with the scene with Addie in the hospital where she gives him back the ring, I thought was also pretty pretty well done and just heartbreaking. And I thought both both she and Adam Hussein did a great job with that because you know of all of the younger people's relationships, I, f I feel like they had genuine chemistry and and it was fun oh, yeah. to see them together. But again. That doomed them, just as it did for Seb and Nina. Well, Roy getting a fucking cake is our... Moment of the week. No, moment of the week. Yeah. I expected a fight. I would I would prefer to give it to to Gary and, and Kelly. Well, make make a strong argument for it. Well, I don't think I need to. It's, it's Kelly's last scenes in the, the show. We've enjoyed her character. Why not give her moment of the week and I'll tell you why we don't give her a moment of the week is because we gave her a moment of the week a couple of weeks ago when she got engaged to Addy so right. that, that's and we've why. given it to her and Gary talking about stuff before mm. in fairness we have given it to Evelyn and Roy before as well but anyway what was your boring moment of the week hmm is it Stephen brushing his teeth I think it was <laughs> I think that's what I had in my mind was 
Stephen in his vest, sleeping in his car. Brushing his teeth. With his, his <laughs> mandibles. Give it Tom Holland a run for his money. Oh, that's it. For a moment of the week. I really do hope the very best for, for Millie Gibson in her career. I, She's a fantastic actress and I just, I wanted more for her in the show and also for her leaving. I wanted more, like yeah. uh, like you do. Well, if you want more, really, more, more, you can drop us a line via the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me in hell on a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Please. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. I talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.